story that I heard recently. Some of you might have heard this story. It's about um, this missionary in Africa. A missionary is a person who goes from one place to another place to tell people about Jesus. That's basically what it means. And this missionary was walking in the jungle, and all of a sudden, this big lion came. And the missionary, he got scared, and he began to pray to God. And he, and he, he, did a, he was one of these old King James preachers. And he says, Lord, grant in thy goodness that the lion walking behind me would become a good Christian lion. And right after he prayed, the lion stopped chasing him. The lion stopped. He knelt down on the ground. He looked up to heaven and he said, Thank you, Lord, for this food about, for which I'm about to partake. Okay, well, that's the end of that. Eddie, they fall for it every time. People look at me like I'm going to say something serious. So I'm going to be reading now from Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 18. I'm continuing Pastor George's series on the church. And he asked today that I would give my vision for what the church would look like. So I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 12. You see that? God likes coffee. It says Hebrews. Does it, does it say that or not? Come on, Bird, right here, right in the scripture, Hebrews. Except Bird heard that joke 40 times already. That's the only problem. Verse 18. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. See, this is a story from the Old Testament where God came down on Mount Sinai and, and the Israelites came and Moses looked at Mount Sinai and he said, wow, this would be a good place for a hospital. <laughs> but it didn't go over that joke in New Jersey. I figured in New York people would get it. For, uh, so they came to Mount Sinai, and down on the mountain, the glory of God came down in fire and darkness. There was a big dark cloud that, that covered the whole mountain, and it revealed God in his awesomeness, in his holiness. And remember, this is God revealing himself in the Old Testament. And God told the Israelites, do not come close. Do not touch this mountain. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it's going to die. You see, that's the holiness of God. And he came down to, 
to the Israelites, he said, you sinful nation, you can't even touch me. You stay away. I am a holy and awesome God. And, and the people were frightened. Even Moses, his, it says that his teeth were chattering. He, he was, the people were afraid at the awesomeness of God, and they wouldn't dare to come close to touch his presence. They were standing there in their sin and rebellion. You see, this, this scene brought fear condemnation, emotional turmoil. Imagine standing there at a mountain and seeing all of a sudden fire and lightning coming down from heaven and everything gets dark and you hear this booming voice from heaven. Imagine the fear, the, the, the feeling of condemnation, of unworthiness. That was the bad news for them. But here's some good news for you. In the New Testament, God is saying, you did not come to that mountain. You did not come to a place of fear. You didn't come to a place where you have to be afraid to, to approach the presence of God. It, and that's not... Here's, here's my picture of what this church should not look like first. The, he's saying it right here. The church should not look like Mount Sinai. It should not look like a place that invokes fear, judgment, shame, and condemnation, that presents God as angry and unapproachable and makes you feel like you're just never good enough. That is not what church should look like. And, and I'm sorry if in any way that's been your church experience. If in any way through the years you've come to church and you've been made to feel unworthy, that God has been misrepresented to you as an angry God who's disappointed in you, who, who tells you you're not good enough, stay away. If you've been made to feel in any way that whatever you do, it's never enough. It's never good enough. I'm sorry in any way, in any church you've been to, if that's the feeling that you went away with, because that church did not represent true New Testament Christianity. Let me show you what true New Testament Christianity looks like. Verse 22. No, you haven't come to Mount, Zion, Mount Sinai. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. And in the Message Bible it says, the city where the living God resides the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly or church of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, 
and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. You see, when somebody walks into a true church, here's what they should say. I have come to a place where the Spirit of God resides. And what I want to do is break down some of these verses that show us how, what we need to do to reflect true New Testament Christianity. Because when God came down in the Old Testament, he presented the law. He wanted to show the people to convict them that they are sinners, that they are unworthy to come into his presence. But after the cross... Because of the blood of Jesus, you have been made worthy and you have come to him. And the church needs to reflect the very presence and glory of God. I, I want to repeat verse 22. It says, thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You can look around, you don't see it in the natural, but what is that verse saying? There's angels all around. And, and as I'm speaking, Lee is, is going to paint the, a picture reflecting Mount Sinai, and Alicia is going to paint a picture reflecting Mount Zion, so afterwards you can, co you can come and look. We'll paint your picture, we'll do whatever it takes. But there are angels all around. It's not just in the song. It tells us right here, thousands and thousands of angels. What does angels doing? They're partying. It says right there, in festive celebration. When you come into church, you've come to a joyous celebration. What does that mean? Whatever I'm going through, I might be going through hell. I might be going through the worst time in my life, but as soon as I step through the door, I step out of that place and into a Holy Ghost party of rejoicing. And I take that and I carry it with me everywhere that I go. I don't leave it here. I don't leave the experience. I don't leave the atmosphere of heaven here in a building. When I leave here, I carry it home with me. I take the joy back home with me. Angels, they protect you. They're doing God's work. We're surrounded by them. You see, we, we live, we're coming into a place of the supernatural. Church is not about perfect people, flawless musicians, eloquent speakers. I don't care how fancy a building looks or how big the crowd is. When I go in a church, I just want to know is the spirit, is the presence here in this place. I'm not impressed anymore. Back in the day, we used to go to all these pastors' meetings. Remember Pastor Joe? <laughs> and you used to hide under the table. And everyone after another would get, oh, well, our building's getting bigger. And we have more people, and we've hired musicians. And all that's great. We need buildings. We want more people to come. But that's not what it's all about. It's all about the glory and the presence of God 
manifesting in the midst of the people, changing and transforming lives, healing bodies. Do you know that I've seen more done in a second in the presence of God than, than in hours of counseling and phone calls and back and forth and this meeting and this person said that and the other ones, I never said that, and they go back and forth. And I've just seen breakthrough happen in an instant in the presence of God. Because we live in the realm of the supernatural. That's what angels are. We can't see them because they live in another layer, another realm. And we can step right into it. There's got to be healing. There's got to be a change in you. I've said it so many times, if somebody prays for you and you can fall down and roll all over the floor and if you got up the same way that before you went down, nothing happened to you. It's all about an encounter with the living God. You see, even the preaching, the very word of God, it doesn't only give you useful information. But the word of God has power to transform your life if you will receive it in your spirit. There's power in the word. You're not just learning something when you sit and listen to preaching. If you open your heart, the very word will get in your spirit and break off your fear, your anger problem, will begin to transform and change you from the inside. One of the first times when I came to this church, Pastor George was preaching a message about the church. And he said and proved it from the scripture that you can be fully known and fully accepted. I had never heard that in my life. And when that hit my spirit, I was totally changed. My whole ministry was changed. All, everything I preached now was totally changed by that one word that I heard that day. There's power in the word. There's power in the laying on of hands and prayer. We come here to meet with God. We have to come in expectation. Verse, I'm going to go now to verse 23. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. Say, what does that mean? You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children. In the Old Testament, it was the firstborn son who would get all the inheritance. They would receive the blessing, the birthright. If you weren't the firstborn son, you would get the leftovers. So what, why is this saying that in the New Testament, that on Mount Zion, all the children of God are firstborn? You know what it means? It means every one of you is royalty. Every one of you is a co-heir with Christ. Everything Jesus owns belongs to you. Every one of you is blessed. Every one of you who has Jesus, if you've got Jesus in your heart, you walk as a king or a queen upon this earth in the power and authority of God. This is not uh, Mount Sinai where everybody's a nobody. 
where you can't come to God, you're judged by your sin, you're labeled. You have been made worthy. You have been redeemed. You know that word? That's one of the fancy words we use. And it means that Jesus paid the price for your sin. But it also means something else. The word redeemed or redemption also means to restore the value of something. You know what that means? Your value, your worth does not come by how some jerk treated you out there, what an ex-husband or ex-wife said about you, what a first former church member gossiped about you. That is not where your value comes from, but God has made you a treasure. You are, you are priceless in the kingdom of God. Ephesians 2.10, it says you are God's masterpiece. It doesn't say one day, well, maybe 10 years from now, I'm going to get there, I'm going to keep working. One day I'll work myself up and, and I'll be a worthy person. Right now, in your mess, where you are right now, you are God's masterpiece. Because even in the dark place you're at, God is going to shine through you. He's working in you. He is proud of you. Did you know that God is not angry at you? Yes, if you want to go live on, the, on that mountain of Mount Sinai, if you want to mess with that kind of church, nobody's ever good enough. But you have been made worthy. You are beautiful in the eyes of God. You are accepted. Right now. Not after you get your act together and clean yourself up. That doesn't mean that we should ever be satisfied falling short of living the life that Jesus wants. More than anything else, more than I want to see miracles, more than I want to see the power of God, more than I want to prophesy better, I want to be known as a man of integrity and holiness, more than I want any of that. But at the same time, I'll never do enough to earn God's favor. Why? Because it's a free gift. Will you take it right now? You are a reflection of the very beauty and glory of God. You are a masterpiece. I can look out right now and I just see God shining back at me through your life. Even on your, in your failure, on your worst day, God sees that your heart, you, that you refuse to quit, that you keep getting up, you keep coming back. You didn't come to Mount Sinai where it says if you failed once, you're, that's it. You know what happened in the Old Testament? Somebody would, would fight with their parents. Their parents would tell the elders. They'd take them outside the gates and stone them to death. You, you didn't come to that place. Don't let anybody st throw stones at you anymore. Because you, you are made in the very image and glory of God. And everyone deserves honor. We don't go by the values of this world. We don't look at people the way the world does. And I'm going to prove it to you from the book of James, chapter 2, verse 1. 
Dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person wearing rags comes in right after him, and you say to the man in the suit, sit here, this is the best seat in the house, and either ignore the street person or say, better sit here in the back row, haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who can't be trusted? We don't care how you dress, how much money you have. We see you as a shining star in the presence of God. Your worth doesn't come by your education or the job that you have. God says, don't look at people, this one, how they're dressed. Don't be fooled by people. It's not about the clothes that you wear or the money that you have. God looks on the heart. The Bible says man is impressed by outward appearance. But God looks on the heart. And we need not to show favoritism by labeling people. I'm going to go down to um, verse, the end of verse 23. It says, you have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. It says, so it, it's saying that, it, that when you come to church, you have come into the presence of God. His arms are open. In the Old Testament, God said, stay away. Don't come near me. You are a sinner. And in the New Testament, it's saying, you've come right into, into to the presence of God who is the judge. He was the judge in the Old Testament. And he, in the Old Testament, said God, he said, you are guilty. You are a sinner. You have fallen short of my requirements. God is also a judge in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, God, as the righteous judge, he looks at you and he says, not guilty. You, there is no condemnation. Aren't you glad that your judge is in love with you? That your judge is also your heavenly father? You see, if you are self-righteous, if you like to criticize or, or look down on people, if you're someone who writes people off because they failed, if you like to put labels on people, and I know people like that, no matter who you mention, oh, that one, oh, they got a lying spirit. You mention someone else, oh, them, they don't read the Bible like they should. The people categorize people, they point fingers and label people. If that's you, you're living on the wrong mountain and you're not gonna do that stuff in this place because we're in Mount Zion. <laughs> Matthew chapter seven, verse one in the Message Bible. It says, don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. You want to judge people? 
See, you're going to look at people who God says they are not guilty, there is no condemnation, and you're going to look at the same people and pronounce judgment, point fingers at them. And what does the Bible say? That same judgment you've just judged someone else is going to come back on you. This is a judgment-free zone. We are not called to be judges. We're called to be lovers. We're not here to judge or gossip about people. We, we look at people and point out their worst faults. You are not defined by your biggest failure. There's a story in Ezekiel where Ezekiel, God showed Ezekiel a valley of dry bones, death. And God said, what do you see? He said, Ezekiel said, I see a valley of dry bones. It doesn't take a prophetic person to look at a valley of dry bones and see dry bones. Here's what it takes a real Christian. Here's what it takes a real prophetic person. God said, can these bones live? Can you look at a valley of death? Can you look into the eyes of a prostitute or a drug addict and begin to see the destiny that God has placed in them? Or are you going to just look at them and, oh, I'm better than, thank God I'm not like that person. You've, you're on the wrong mountain if that's you. There is no finger pointing in this place. I, I want to read a, a quote from Bill Johnson, who, who's a pastor out in California. And this is a powerful quote. He says, the church is often known for what we hate. We hate you. Come to Jesus. You can be like us. And that's true. Very often to, out at, to, in the world, in the culture, we're more known as the church for who we don't like, for who we criticize, for who we tear down. And you know what? People don't want to be like us. They're not interested in living in Mount Sinai because the world already feels condemned. Do you know that you're not accomplishing anything by, by, by tearing down people? I, I get so upset sometimes. I watch these judge shows, like um, Judge Judy, and you get these people on. They're fighting. They're tearing each other up. They're calling each other names, and then they start talking about, oh, I'm an elder in my church, and this is... That's how the church is known. And the world wants no part of it. We don't live in that place. If you want to live in the Old Testament, you go tear everyone up you want, but it's all going to come back right at you. For everyone you gossip on, that gossip's going to hit you back one day. Whatever you put out, that's what's going to come back at you. I don't want to live on that mountain anymore. I don't want to keep dealing with this one gossip, this one said that. This was something happened to someone years ago and they won't let it go. I'm tired of that Mount, Mount Sinai. I want to come where there's millions of angels into the presence, into the realm of the very glory of God. 
You see, there's grace for you today. There's mercy for you in the presence of God, whatever you've done. I want to go now to verse 24. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Let me break that down for a minute. Abel, in the book of Genesis, was murdered by his brother. That was injustice. And in Hebrews 11, it says that the blood of Abel still cries out from the ground. What is the blood of Abel crying out? Justice. Vengeance. And in the Old Testament, every time you hurt someone, every time you failed, every time you wounded someone with your words, their blood would cry out for vengeance. God would look and he would bring punishment. But in the New Testament, we have the blood of Jesus. And what does the blood of Jesus cry out? Mercy, grace. Whatever you've done, no matter how big your failure has been, the blood of Jesus is stronger to overcome, to wash it away. It speaks a better message. See, it says in the New Testament that God's arms are wide open. In the Old Testament, stay away. Don't come close. In the New Testament, it says, come boldly into the throne room, into the very presence of the living God. I want to read one more quote. And I'm going to ask Sarah is going to come up and do a song. In the Old Testament, anything unclean has power over what is clean. A leper yelling unclean doesn't reveal God's heart, but the severity of sin. In the New Testament, it's the other way around. A believing spouse sanctifies the entire house. Mercy triumphs over judgment, and love covers a multitude of sin. In the New Testament, if somebody was a sinner, I better stay away, it's gonna come on me. But in the New Testament, when I touch a sinner, when I touch a leper, they are made whole. They are cleansed by the power of God. I can go right out into that culture, into the most wicked place, and believe that God is going to go with me and change the atmosphere. I'm not going to stay awake because somehow they're going to transform me. I'm not afraid to step out into the, very, into the place of evil because light belongs in the darkness. So I asked Sarah, she's going to come and she's going to speak for a minute and then she's going to sing. God bless you all. So when Pastor Gary um, sent me a message on Facebook to um, ask me if I can sing today, it, it was, I want to say it was um, God who pretty much touched him to, to ask me that question because it was a very, I was having a hard day that day. And um, prior to that day, um, Lee had texted me with some words that God had put in her heart. And it just, that the word on that day just came on a 
perfect timing because God knows when he needs to show up, right? And um, when she texted me that Friday and that, you know, I said, amen, thank you. We shared on some things. Then that Tuesday I wake up and I don't honestly know what started the way that I was feeling, but it was a day where when you're just like in a blur and it's, you're foggy and you're trying to focus and you can't and you're having this battle. Um, and when he, he sent me the message and he asked me to sing the song, I'm like, God, wow, you're, you're funny, you know? Are you testing me? Are you? And I, I battled with it for a minute and then I said, I'm just gonna say yes. Because if I continue to say no, I'm not ready or no, it's not the time then we're just gonna stay sitting down, right? And I believe that that was a time for me to just say, it's, it's time for me to do what I have to do. So he asked me to share a little bit and I wrote some thoughts and I wanna share this with you. For a very long time, I had lived a life of regret, of darkness, of anger, and what ifs. I was born and raised in a Christian home in a very well-known family, one of legacy and God-filled promises. I always knew that there was something different about me and that God had a special calling upon my life, but certain events always made me think otherwise. Although I had gone about my life and thought I had made right decisions based on what I knew, I kept feeling empty and dark and unloved. Although I knew the word of God and I knew his calling upon me, I did not know what his grace felt like because I had not dealt with certain issues because of fear. It wasn't until about six years ago when I separated from my ex-husband that I started to realize I had some big issues that I needed to confront and let go of. It was a whirlwind of emotions and I did not know where to start. I went like that for two years and because of that, I made a lot of wrong decisions on life and what I thought love was. I was still afraid. About two and a half years ago, I decided to take a step and go to counseling. And wow, I did not know that I had so many issues. You see, I didn't realize that by not dealing with them in my life and just storing them in the back of my mind, they, were, they would subliminally pop up, which is why I would act or react the way I would with certain situations. As I began to work on that in my emotions, I began to realize how great was God's love over me and how immense his grace was for my life. I had, so, I had made so many wrong decisions and messed up in so many times, but he still kept me and ironically enough, still used me for his glory. I went like that for a while, not being able to sleep of anxiety and anger, and the more I confronted certain issues, the more it would happen until I decided to let go and let God control my thoughts. I began to feel his comfort, his peace, and his healing. The text in Isaiah 61 tells us that we have been anointed of God, that we have been anointed of God to preach the good news to those who are meek. The word meek is translated into poor or in the cases, in other cases as depressed. The enemy's complete desire is to use the tactic of fear and terror to bring oppression and depression upon us. To bring terror is nothing more than attempting to use fear as a weapon. Once someone has brought another person to that point of fear, then they become obsessed with that thing they fear and it becomes oppression, which is, it, which is what happened to me. Then as they discover that they alone cannot do anything about the situation, the depression kicks in. But the Lord has promised beauty for ashes 
And what are those ashes? They are nothing more than the remains of something that once was. And many of us are looking back at what used to be what, and you're wishing it could be that way again. You've lost something or you've lost someone that used to be and you're wishing you can have that person once again. You are grieving your past, you're grieving past relationships, grieving past memories, grieving past moments of blessings, and you're dreaming of what used to be. Your past, your, your past relationships have failed. They are nothing more than ashes, it seems. But God has promised beauty. He has promised to replace your ashes for beauty. Psalms 113.7 says, He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. You look around you and you see nothing more than relics of the way things used to be. The word beauty is translated into embellishment. And when you look back at what once was, God declares that he can right now, that right now it may look nothing like ashes, but when he gets done with it, he will resurrect that thing and bring it back to life. But he won't just bring it back to life, he will embellish it, for it will be greater than it ever was before. Amen. And that's how I felt. So when Pastor Gary hit, you know, he hit me up on Facebook, the first song that came to mind was the one that I'm about to sing. And I know you know it, so if you want to sing it unto the Lord, you can do so. And just remember that it doesn't matter what situation you're in, God still loves you, and his grace and mercy endures forever. Amen? Let's all just stand right now in the presence of God. Let's turn to the one who loves you, the one... The one who fully accepts you even in your worst day. In the middle of your mess, God's hands are reaching down to you. So let's just praise him. Of 
afflictions eclipsed by glory And I've realized just how beautiful you are And how great your affections are for me And oh, how he loves us so was but today God brings back brings back back to life he revives it inside of me of what used to be what but he's gonna make it what he wants it to be so today if you come with a heavy heart God desires to replace that replace your heavy heart with a garment of praise 
You came into this place with no desire to rejoice, but when you leave, you will leave with a new song in your mouth. So I leave you with this, and God bless you. And just remember, he loves us. God bless you. Amen. I'm going to ask Pastor George to come and join me up here. Because I mentioned before that when I first came to the church, one of the most powerful life-transforming things to me was when Pastor George stood up here. And he said that God knows you, he knows everything about you, and he fully loves you, and you are accepted, you are loved. And, and before Pastor George addresses you, I, I believe there might be a, a few of you out there, and, and you're, you, you're, you don't really know the love, the full love of God. Some of you, you, you think God is angry at you or disappointed. You're still walking in regrets from the past. You, you don't feel the full acceptance and love of God. Just, just as Sarah just said, she stepped out of her place of brokenness and, and took a risk and ministered to you today. If, that, if that's you, would you come down here and join me just, cause you, just to receive that special word from Pastor George? That requires some humility to let people know. But, but stop worrying about who's looking at you. Those days are over for me. Amen, amen, amen. Imagine belonging to a place where you can be fully known and still accept it. Imagine belonging to a community where people know where you came from. Imagine belonging to a place where people know you when you were before, before you came. Imagine belonging to, to, to a people being in, in a community where people know the baggage you walked in here with. Where people know the baggage that you're still dealing with. And you can still be fully loved. And fully accepted. Imagine being, being fully known. And fully loved. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The word says that Jesus, while we were still sinful... While we were still ugly, while we were still godless, came and paid the price. I've, the, way, the way Pastor Gary just put it, I've never heard that. You're, you have a judge that's in love with you. <laughs> have you ever heard that in your life? You have a judge that's in love with you. We've been preaching this message since 2007, risking church, and you're not ever going to get us to stop. So if you want to stop hearing it, you got to go someplace else. Because we believe we can have a people where we can really, really, really know, I mean, know the person behind the mask. Know the person behind the outfit. Know the person fully where you can 
get behind the mask and let people still see you and let people still embrace you and still love you and still receive you and still accept you and still, oh man, that's the gospel. So thank you guys for coming forward. Thank you guys for stepping out. And it's our job as a church to let this be more than words. Because I can do it and I will do it and I've been doing it for 10 years here. But we have to do it as a church. We have to fully embrace, fully know, yeah, I came here, I, I was this, that's okay. I have car thieves that I've given my car to to go. <laughs> and, and you know, sometimes that's not wise. But there's something in Christ, there's something in God, there's something in the family, there's something in the community of God that you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. And so, so those of you that are standing here, those of you that are standing way in the back, we love you and we receive you and we accept you and we're going to keep growing together. Amen? We're going to keep growing together. That's the beauty of church. That's church. That's the church. Everything else is nonsense. Amen. So I'm going to ask the prayer, those of you on the prayer team, if you could come and just, just begin to show the love of God to these people standing up here. We want to let people know they are accepted and loved. You, you are not alone. And if there's anyone else, if you're saying today, I, I need to know I'm loved. I need to know I'm accepted. We just want to invite you. The Bible says, come to the presence. Come to Jesus. This is your come to Jesus moment. Come on, he everybody on the ministry you. teams. Come you on. are welcomed come on. in the presence. Everybody you should are be standing welcomed. with somebody. Come on. You are received in the very realm of the glory of God. So let, let's just start to worship him. The Bible says that there's tens of thousands of angels. And do you know you got a better testimony than every, any angel because the angels were never forgiven. Nobody died for them. So we're not gonna let the angels out worship us today. What do you think, Pastor Eve? We're gonna let those angels worship more stronger than us? You have been redeemed by the blood. Let's just, let's just honor the living God. You have come to a place of joyous celebration. Yeah. Yeah. Amen, as you, as you start to worship. Those of you that are, that are, that are not up here, in the next couple of moments of worship, can we leave our seats and maybe get to know somebody else? Like, go go meet, introduce yourself to somebody. Go kind of love on somebody. Can, can we kind of get bold? I know that's crazy. But can we do that as we, as we worship reverently? Yes. 